Well, hello there, weary traveler. Welcome to the inn. Sit, sit, rest your feet. Why, it's a long journey on the road to Tarvalon. Have a cup of tea. Or maybe a frothy ale. The light. Why, you're just in time for the entertainment. Here are your hosts, Tracy and Amber. This is going to be really Should fun. Should we go for it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hello and welcome back. I'm here with my friend Tracy. I'm here with my friend Amber. And this is The Road to Tarvalin, a Wheel of Time podcast. Today we are taking a closer look at one of the most beloved characters in The Wheel of Time. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we are doing this episode on Elida. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Elida. I Elida, I am Tower Law Duarivni Arohan. Arohan. I don't know. She's just she's a very special character because I can't think of someone else that people love to hate. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this will be another Westlands 101 episode. So we'll be keeping the first half of the episode as spoiler-free as possible. And for those of you who don't know, I'm real good with a sensor buzzer. So sometimes that <laughs> shows up when one of us is like, no, well, that should stay in, but it shouldn't have that one word in it. There will be a few moments in like the, the non-spoiler section that are going to touch on Eye of the World and New Spring. And if you guys haven't read New Spring and you want information on it, we have like 19 episodes about it. <laughs> <laughs> so if you haven't if you haven't listened to those, we had a great time making those. But no major spoilers until after the break when I have to say it's going to get juicy. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm actually like kind of silly not, excited about this. Yeah, we are not holding back on this one. <laughs> no. No, I feel as though she's one of those characters that you and I started talking about early about like how much we didn't like her and like all of the things that she does and she goes through and yeah. I don't think there's anyone that likes her. If you are an Elida stan, let us know. We will not ridicule you, but I I really want... Are there people that like her? I don't <laughs> I'm know. I'm curious. I, w- I would honestly want to know. Like, wouldn't that be fascinating to find people that are like, she's one of my very favorites. I mean, she's one of my very favorites to hate in the stories. She's one of my favorites like, to read because mm-hmm. getting her her thoughts on things is interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like getting a glimpse into a supreme narcissist's mind. <laughs> yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. So we are we are going to go ahead and focus first on Elida's background, which yeah. is a good place to start, right? Yeah, kind of like her upbringing. So mm-hmm. Elida du Arivni Arroyhan was the youngest daughter of a minor house in Murindi. And she's described as being severe and handsome looking. I think I think one of the things that I read about her was that some people would maybe think she was beautiful on first glance, but like she has like this really stern and hard expression that kind of takes away from her she's being got considered pretty. Kind of a stink face. <laughs> like she's constantly smelling something awful. Maybe. Yes, that is very possible. Yeah. So she was born in 950 NE. 
and went to the White Tower in 967 when she was 17. And that seems to be about the average age for young women to start going to the tower, right? Like, Yeah, I think – and that seems to be around the time when they start noticing that they can channel as well. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I mean, that kind of – that moves to the next one because, like, I couldn't find anything when I was looking at stuff at what tipped her off that she needed to go to the White mm. Tower. Like, what yeah. tips off any woman that she needs to do that if she hasn't in some way touched the power? So wouldn't that mean that, like, almost every woman in a way is a wilder? Yeah, unless – I feel like unless you are someone – in nobility where maybe if you're mm. if you're aligned with someone that has a Sedai within like court yeah. then you would have that access and they would be able to see it in you because of mm-hmm. course they can see when other women have you know the potential to channel yeah and i mean that's what happened for Moraine like yeah she was recognized for her ability and and I said I kind of helped guide her through her first steps so that she could avoid mm-hmm. the stigma of being a wilder. So yeah, I just like I just really don't understand how women figure that out, or if I said I just sent out like big search parties for people. But I've I mean I don't know I haven't read anything like that. If anyone knows, I yeah without know. without getting into spoilers, I mean. There are a lot of women that can channel, but I feel like if you come from these little tiny villages somewhere where you don't, where you're not aligned with the crown and there aren't Aes Sedai passing through constantly, no one's going to find you. Yeah. So maybe they just kind of (laughs) end up, and especially in smaller towns, I don't want to say that they're like inbreeding or something, but you have a smaller pool of people like Mm -hmm. to marry. So families kind of. You know, you'll see like a couple major families in these little towns and maybe this like channeling ability just kind of keeps getting passed down throughout Mm -hmm. these, you know, families. But it's interesting. Yeah. 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 So that was just that was just one of the things that I was kind of wondering about. Like, I just I couldn't find anything. And I always have like the why question, I think. So. She it would be she would be a really cool character to know about mm-hmm. you know her upbringing definitely because we get a little bit here and there but well it's and not there's telling you exactly how she was at age seventeen and yeah and there are so many women who are who come from nobility who are Aes Sedai that like the idea that they would be recognized above other women who could channel makes sense mm-hmm. like. Like, your idea of them being in proximity. Yeah. Okay. That's, well, and that actually goes really good with what we have next because, so Elida was the first novice to be raised to accepted in only three years, and yep. then she only spent, like, a very quick three years as an accepted before mm-hmm. passing the test to become an Aes Sedai. Yep. And what's funny about that is she was comparable in strength to... Moraine, Damadred, and Swan Sanche. Mm-hmm. And I kind of have this little theory going on that it might have contributed to a little bit of a rivalry with them. And I mean, mm-hmm. we'll definitely go into that later. Yeah. But it's interesting. We were talking about Moraine being noticed because mm-hmm. her, 
you know, in court, they had an Aes Sedai around. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if Elida did also, but she was from a minor house. So mm-hmm. maybe that did give her some proximity to an Aes Sedai somewhere. But Murindi wasn't isn't a big deal, <laughs> really. So <laughs> maybe not. Yeah, which may also play into Elida as an individual. Is like oh the, yes, like the the nationality that she comes from. But then uh, when Elida came to the the tower, shortly after she arrived, another young woman arrived. Uh, Maidani Ash- Ashid. Ashid. Does that sound right? Um, sure. <laughs> that's a that's a rough one. Maidani Ashid. Ashid. Ashide. I don't know. We'll go with Ashid. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were entered in the novice book within weeks of each other and shortly after became pillow friends. And it's so funny to me to think of Elida as having a lover. Like. Or just a friend in general. <laughs> <laughs> like someone actually willing to be around her. I have comments on that later. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, like that, that. When I first learned that about her, like when we were talking about pillow friends, I think like in our very first episode, when I saw that Elena had had a pillow friend, I was like, wait, what? 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 Really? <laughs> okay. Weird. But they continued this relationship until Elida was raised to the shawl. So for six years, they were intimate with each other. But she still considered herself Medina's friend, although the companion, the Wheel of Time companion, says that she showed it by giving her the same sort of attention and pressure that she did to Swan and Moraine. In other words, she's a shit friend. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I think it's funny. I mean, it's just, it's not funny, but it's just typical Elida fashion to like drop someone. And I mean, this happens to, I mean, this happens all the time. If you're accepted and then you get raised, your friend, if your friends aren't raised at the same time mm-hmm. as you, then you just kind of quit associating with them. Yeah. But that's just the tower bullshit that happens. Yeah. So they I create mean, that huge divide between Aes Sedai and not Aes Sedai. And so yeah. it doesn't, I just feel like that's such. We're not going to go into how horrible the White Tower is today. <laughs> not going to do it. We've got so much to talk we may about. Maybe the road to Tarvalin, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that this is a world we want to live in. <laughs> no. I'm going there to bake delicious food and make fun of people. That's why I'm going there. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. stand in the doorway of my kitchen and like judge people. That'll I would me. probably age out. They would be like, you're shit. You can't do anything. You're a terrible channeler and kick me out. I don't know. Wasn't there like a, a woman who had been like novice and accepted for like over 20 years? Like <laughs> That would be me. <laughs> I'm like 80. Just going they would through kick me. the testing. They would kick me out. For sure. <laughs> Okay, but anyway. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, so I want to get into Elida's, like, her characteristics. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm excited. So due to her strength in the one power, um, she's considered really, really strong Mm -hmm. in the one power. Yeah. So she would never defer to any other sisters unless they were the Amerlin, Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. a sitter. And then at the around the time that she's raised, there was only maybe three other Aes Sedai who had equal or higher strength in the one power. Yep. Yeah. So she just, you know, she she thinks that she is a very important person. Yeah, she does. Yeah. Like the word arrogant. Like yeah really hits me when it comes to her and the way that she behaves and the way she interacts with other people. Like she has, she has just, this idea. Just an air, of who she is. an air about her. Yeah. You know? And it just, the thing about it that like rubs you the wrong way, because I'm all about, you know, being confident and assertive and, you know, things like that. But I also feel like that needs to come with a little bit of humility and grace and, Elida just seems to be lacking those things. Yeah. And I can't help but mention this, but according to Maureen, Elida is not our most fashionable (laughs) character. I love that. (laughs) This is a new spring moment. And I. No kidding. I (sighs) think this is one of my favorite, like, visual, like, in my own head, how I picture this moment going. Yep. Because it's like Maureen and Swan are out in the cold all day and they're taking lunch and it's still really cold out and I feel like maybe like snow is thawing and it's mm-hmm. wet and mucky and they're probably huddled up somewhere eating some stale bread cold <laughs> and Elida shows up on her big ass horse Yep, and she's looking down at mm-hmm. them and just being really snarky. Very and- snarky. Moraine, like, her first thought is kind of like the fashion police, like, bitch, you look ridiculous. That outfit is awful. And, you know, I just picture her, like, you know, like, nibbling on whatever she's eating and just thinking, like, ugh, gross. Right. She obviously did not go to the same seamstress that Moraine and Swan went to. Like, no, Moraine always is perfect, and she's always well thought. Like has everything well thought out. Like mm-hmm. she doesn't want her riding clothes to be a light color because mm-hmm. they'll get dirty. And however many slashes needs it needs to be just the right amount. Just the right and, amount, even yeah. though she could claim so many more. Like yeah, exactly, understated. And maybe Elida we needed to have is dressing like a tinker. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Maybe we maybe the balance of the Elida hate comes from the Moraine love. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. Anyway, I just I I loved that moment as well. I think we both had a great time talking about that. But she's also ambitious and which is combined with malice and her own personal sense of importance, which is just really not a good combination. Not in a leader. Like, no, it's Mm-mm. obvious that that's what Elida wants and what she feels she deserves. And I get it. Like, I get well where put. she's coming yeah. from. Like, she has yeah, she everything. She thinks she's the strongest and the best and super powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And like the, the, the way that the hierarchy is established in the White Tower, like, you, the stronger you are, the more deference is shown to you and the Mm -hmm. weaker you are the more likely you're going to be serving tea to the other sisters that you're spending time with it's just a really terrible way of doing things and so of course she's going to feel like 
she'll rise to the top immediately because once she becomes a sister, she does because of her strength. Regardless of what her personal capabilities are, she's like, just here you go because you're super strong. Mm -hmm. You get these things and it just, I don't know, whatever. Um, But she's just like a combination of things that are not. They are not attractive qualities. <laughs> no. Mm-mm. No. She she is an ugly person. She's an ugly person. Agreed. Yeah. But so, yeah, after she had been wearing the shawl for a few years, she met Cad Swain when Cad Swain returned to the tower. Even though everyone assumed Cad Swain was dead, Cad Swain pulls that a lot. How many times do people think that she's dead and she's like, what up? <laughs> I feel like maybe three, but I'm not yeah. 100% sure on that. But it is fun. She's like the resurrection queen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, and then so Cad Swain told Elida that she was too hard and that Good Steel had, uh, had some give in it. Mm-hmm. And what was too rigid was too easily shattered. And she also accused Elida of allowing her emotions, in particular her anger, to rule for her as opposed the other way around. Yeah. Which I mean, ouch. Like, yeah. Cat Swain's not particularly delicate with mm, mm. <laughs> what she no. thinks. But no. I feel like in this case, Elida, Cat Swain would have been the only person that could really put Elida in her place. Yep. So it, I don't know. It's Cat Swain can be awful, but I also totally. love this point about her where she's telling Elida basically, you know, you need to slow down and yeah. take a serious look at yourself. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, I think it says in the companion something about how like this assessment from Cad Swain had Elida like running to her rooms as though she were a novice who had just been sent from a strapping from the mistress of novices. So this obviously like hit her really hard. Good on Cad Swain. (laughs) Right. I mean, I love her for always being the kind of person who calls it as she sees it, even when it can be really hurtful. And in some ways, I feel like that quality is really similar to Elida in some ways. We're like... Cat Swain can be ruthless. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, as we see, so can Elida. So yeah. it was just like... And I mean, how... In some ways, it's almost unfair to point out that somebody is this way and just leave them like that without giving them a roadmap to improve themselves. And so it almost feels unfair to be like, hey, you have these shit qualities and you should know about it. And now I'm going to go pretend I'm dead again. Have fun. (laughs) Later. (laughs) Peace out. Yeah. So I don't know. It just it just feels really weird. But she wasn't wrong. Like, Cad Swain wasn't wrong. No, I don't think so. Um there is the fact that Elida chose to be in the Red Aja that I think is worth mentioning just because, I mean, we've talked about the Ajas so many times mm-hmm. and <laughs> the Red Aja is kind of like, <laughs> I, 
I don't know. Like we we just talked about it mm-hmm. in our last episode, but kind of like one of these necessary but awful yeah. <laughs> groups. And yep. for Elida to be like, oh, that's me. You know, like it just kind of it's just another point about her where it's like, okay. So I feel like it give it it gives you a pretty well-rounded idea of what mm-hmm. she's like. I agree. And I yeah. think, too, Elida almost has this, like, near obsession with rank. Yeah, 100%. And, and when, we, when we look at her, I think it's important to look at her background coming from Murindy and how that might kind of connect to her personality. Mm-hmm. So I think Murindy itself is fascinating because in this setting – you don't have something like a Kaiser or, you know, a, a ruler looking mm-hmm. over all of the Westlands unifying it. Yeah. So each kingdom is basically autonomous, but they all have, you know, alliances. Mm-hmm. And a nation like Andor is very strong and unified and under this mm-hmm. competent monarch and their military is large and Mm -hmm. powerful and they're just one of these major forces in the world and then Murindy on the other hand is really (laughs) small and divided Mm -hmm. and it's mostly divided due to the fact that the citizens won't align under the king Mm -hmm. but they would rather align under whatever local house would benefit them at the time yeah so to me this looks like a lot of squabbling and infighting and mm-hmm. just kind of pettiness. Yeah. And then it's said that the nation is so hard to unite that it basically takes a war to make the people come together, mm-hmm. which something like that kind of plays out later. But, you know, some of the citizens claim to not even want a king within Mirandi. Yeah. They want, you know, they, they want to do their own thing. Mm-hmm. So... When when you are given all of that, it's kind of interesting to look at, like, so how does this have an effect on Elida? What does this have to do with her? Yeah. And to me, it's kind of like coming from this place where she doesn't seem to have any sense of unity. Mm-hmm. And I kind of see these people from Murindy as rebellious, where they mm-hmm. would rather put themselves first than focus on unity. Mm-hmm. And I think this could almost be a little bit of foreshadowing. So mm-hmm. I don't want to go too far with it. Yeah. But Elida definitely seems to put herself first. You know, mm-hmm. consequences be damned. Mm-hmm. And then this kind of mimics the lifestyle in Murindy a yeah. little bit. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of an interesting play on, you know, where, you know, if if where you come from makes you who you are, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you can... You can flip that and, like, think about how Moraine is absolutely a product of where she's been raised. Like, and I I think you could say the same thing about Elida. Like, if you come from a place that's divided and doesn't have, like, a a common goal, then you just – it's like the Holy Roman Empire, like when it was just a bunch of little teeny tiny principalities and dukedoms. Exactly. I mean, it's one of the reasons why when there were um, like heretic huntings and witch huntings and things that happened in Europe, 
the Holy Roman Empire was the worst one because there was no overseeing power and nobody checking in with each other. And so they just were like, oh, you're a fucking witch, burn her. Like, and men well, were there involved was the, in that too. There was but, the Kaiser, you know. but then the problem was that there's these kingdoms and then within these kingdoms, there were mm-hmm. nations within these kingdoms. So there were kings and then the kings had major, you know, houses Mm-hmm. And then under that, there were grafts and barons and then minor houses. And then yeah. maybe knights were able to hold property, but they couldn't inherit property. And all of these, you know, mm-hmm. nobles, tr- you know, looking over like, okay, this is my border. No, this is my border. And then, you know, what do they do? They have to like go to the Kaiser and be like, oh, we have a disagreement. And in the Wheel of Time... There isn't that <laughs> high Mm-mm. person. Yeah, over, yeah, that person who's like overseeing everything. And I mean, you can discuss politics all all day long or for like thousands of years as we've been doing yeah. as human beings and try to find the best form of government. And I mean, there is something to be said for having centralized governments. And I think Mirandi and the people who come from Mirandi, because don't like most people have like a relatively rough reputation if they come from Mirandi and Lugard in particular. And that's where Lugard um, is like where you go to get swindled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that's so there's just not this like really great reputation around it. And like she's she's the youngest daughter in this family. So it's not even just that she's from a minor house, she's also the most minor of the heirs that have come along yeah. as well. So, like, like the firstborn boy would inherit the second boy. You know, everyone that comes after that, basically, I don't know what do they do? Send them off to the white cloaks, be like, join a religious order, or yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, become like, a knight. But what do you do with the youngest girl? Marry her off and hope that she, you know, can get some de- like a decent dowry or mm-hmm. something like, make a good alliance do? with someone that like increases i mean that's and they lucked out with her because she could channel so they're like off to the tower you go yeah see, see you ya. later yeah. yeah don't have to worry about you anymore so yeah i think all of those things definitely pack themselves into who alida is and who she becomes for sure oh yes Mm-hmm. And then there is there is this too that I think it's kind of funny, but I brought up. I feel like she kind of has this competitive streak with Moraine and mm-hmm. Swan, mm-hmm. and I think you know when Elida shows up at the tower, she's like hot shit, and everyone's mm-hmm. like, "Oh, look at how strong she is!" And then Moraine and Swan show up, and Elida is no longer the Mm -hmm. star, I guess. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's not just that there's one other rival. It's that there are two. Yeah. Like, so two women come to the tower who can rival her in strength. So now she's being compared to them and things just feel a little awkward, a little uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. But we had... Were you going to mention Shelby's? Yes, yes. Yes. Okay, good. Yeah. One yeah. of our listeners, Shelby, has this assessment about Elida, and I absolutely lo- love it. I mean, it's adorable and it's hilarious, mm-hmm. but 
she has this theory kind of that Elida showed up in the tower and she kind of, you know, thought, okay, maybe I'm going to hit things off with this Moraine woman mm-hmm. and she's royalty and, you know, she, uh, Elida is kind of nobility. So maybe mm-hmm. she thought like, okay, I'm going to be friends with this girl and we can both channel really well. And mm-hmm. Moraine is like, nah, I'm cool. I'd rather hang out with this fisherman's <laughs> daughter. Uh, so, Which, and I mean- you dress like shit. So <laughs> <laughs> you're kind of embarrassing to be around. <laughs> no, but. I hate your wardrobe choices. Yeah. I think it's actually a big deal, like maybe even a bigger deal than what I had originally thought about what it means for Moraine to have chosen a commoner as a friend considering her rank of nobility Mm -hmm. and considering how we see the nobility behave throughout the series towards commoners. So Aleda had every reason do you think that Moraine would want to be friends with someone who at least had a touch on nobility and would disdain the friendship of a commoner? And so, like, just one more reason to really, like, root for Moraine because she's a good judge of character, and that's what leads her. And yeah. Elida is not, and she's spiteful. Elida's got this youngest daughter syndrome where she's, I feel like she feels like she was never quite enough. Mm-hmm. Then she's given this chance to go to the tower and become something amazing. And I feel like she's trying to uh, make up for something. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, she's nobility, but her estates were just basically the size of a farm. And yeah. So there's always this like, oh, I'm really great, but maybe she secretly thinks like, man, I just wish I was more. I wish I could be better. Yeah. I don't know. That, I, I, I feel like that's true. And I also feel like she always feels underestimated. Yeah, like, yeah. She that's always a really feels great kind of, of like it. overlooked for the things that she feels she deserves to have, considering her strength and the power and how quickly she moved from novice to accepted mm-hmm. to wearing the shawl. Um, and like this, like going back to talking about <laughs> Elida with Moraine and Swan, I read this in the companion last night because I'm a procrastinator and I was working <laughs> on our notes at midnight. It's fine. It's fine. It actually was really fun. Like, I listened to music and worked on notes, and it was great. But, like, we've been seeing Elida almost, like, as potentially competition and cruel. Uh, But the companion says that she pushed uh, Maureen and Swan because they had an obligation to the tower to attain their full potential. And to me, that feels like a really kind way of looking at someone who is exacting to the point of cruelty so it just I don't know it just seemed like it was trying to kind of make it like it was okay that she had behaved that way you know and I was like "Mm." yeah and I I don't know I almost feel like this could be a misconception because I think this is okay this this comes from New Spring, obviously, mm-hmm. what I want to talk about. So if you hadn't if you haven't read New Spring and you don't want this little bit, it's not really a major spoiler. It's just something that kind of happens off to the side. So mm-hmm. 
plug your ears for 10 seconds. (laughs) But Hum to yourself. Yeah, but I honestly believe that Elida wanted to help Moraine and Swan achieve their, I'm doing like air quotes, quotes. full potential. Yeah. Because that's exactly what she tells them. Like, I wanted, I want to help you. Mm -hmm. But we know that Aes Sedai can do their sneaky way of speaking. So helping them reach their full potential means that she gets to physically beat them. Yeah. So technically it's not a lie that she wants to help them, Mm -hmm. but is it possible that she wanted to help them by beating the shit out of them? (laughs) I mean, it sure feels like it. Yeah, I want to help you by doing this. Yeah. And just, you know, just because she's saying I want to help you doesn't mean that it's actually like a good thing yeah (laughs) it's just kind of like how when moraine says you can call me lady alice she's not saying my name is lady alice she's Mm -hmm. saying you can call me that yeah so i kind of feel like maybe when elida says i wanted to help you know i wanted to help you guys yeah she wanted to help she wanted to beat the shit out of them (laughs) yeah i want to help encourage you to fail the test to become an ice yeah so maybe all of that you know maybe all of this in the companion and what's written online, we're saying like she really wanted to help them is all based on just that one statement and it's being misconstrued because she used her Sedai speak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I mean we see over and over again can be bent to the person's will. It's Yeah. It really if is she- it's a fun like it's fun to read it even when it's frustrating. Like how mm-hmm. they can do that, but I love. I'm like, oh wow, there are so many, there are so many ways to say the truth. Air quotes. Well, there, yeah, there's so many times that I have misread a situation because it's an ice and I saying it, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh well, they can't lie. Right. But, I mean, I get taken for a ride, just like the person that's on the receiving end of for this. Sure. Not lie. Yeah. So. Yeah. I was so. This was something that caught me last night when I was reading over the companion because it really like it just made me think of who she is going to become later on. And in the companion, it says, although Elida's potential strength was fairly high, she was not among the very highest with respect to sisters then living. Uh, But on the other hand, her time spent as novice and as accepted were records equaling or bettering the best ever before. So she lives in this like paradox where like she's really great, but everyone's just like, meh, like that's that's how (laughs) it feels like that. They're like, cool, Mm, you know, and it, it was just it really like. If someone did that to me, like if people did that to me, I would just like, I would simmer underneath and just hate everybody for not seeing how awesome I was. You know, like, I don't know if I would really do that. I would like to pretend I'm mildly humble, but <laughs> I, <laughs> I feel as though Elida was definitely in that mind frame where she was like, I'm the best that you guys have right now. There are mm-hmm. only three women in the world who can channel as far as they know who can channel as strongly as i can so she's just like shower me with yeah everything everything. all the things i want it all yeah so i just i can see that grinding against her especially like how long i said i live and as the decades go by and other things happen like 
I can see where Elida gets pushed to where she makes the decisions she does. And yeah, what we see is, I mean, I feel like she was absolutely kind of coddled within the tower to an extent yeah. because she was like their star, you know, yeah. like the star athlete of like mm-hmm. a, a college team or something. And everyone's like, you're so great. You're wonderful. You're amazing. Mm-hmm. And then these other women show up and she's just kind of like, oh, mm-hmm. like now it's kind of a common thing. And yeah, it's been reduced. Yeah, you're not really the star anymore, and mm-hmm. you kind of have an like awful personality. So I'm sure people didn't even really <laughs> want to deal with her. But then comes Moraine, and she's you know royalty, and mm-hmm. she's a pretty little porcelain doll, right? And she's really you know smart, and mm-hmm. she's kind, and mm-hmm. she's funny. Yeah. So I mean, I can just see all of the attention kind of like fizzling out with Elida and her just, <laughs> you know, like steam coming out of her ears like a yeah. cartoon, like, why won't anyone pay attention to me? I'm yes. amazing. <laughs> yes, that's exactly that's exactly what I think is like pushing her under the surface so often mm-hmm. throughout the series. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the Red Aja, like, not 100% sure why she chose it, but she has a near blind faith in her Aja and in the sitters of her Aja. And it's meant like her mission um, to rid the world of male channelers. So like we've talked about the vileness in depth, so I'm not going to go into it today. And I don't really feel like we need to. Um, but she wasn't deeply involved with it, but she was aware of what was happening Mm -hmm. you know it does I did I do remember reading that when some of the Aes Sedai were punished for it she was one that kind of squeaked out of it and you know there wasn't they couldn't really say that she did anything wrong in certain the situation so she wasn't really punished but But she knew exactly what was going on. <laughs> yeah. And the I think the companion says that she wholeheartedly supported um, following through with this mass execution of men who might be able to channel with like she was she believed in it so strongly that she kind of like gave a wink and a nudge towards mm-hmm. the murder of men who could channel, even mm-hmm. though she personally did not do it. Or at least maybe just looking the other way. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Like, just, she knows about it, but she's not going to stop it. And so, yeah. like, she has one involvement that has repercussions for later on in the series, but it doesn't, like, it doesn't really come out that she was involved in that, and it was really close to the end of the the pogrom that was running through the country killing any man who might Ooh, be a chandler you know the vileness yeah it's a it's a steep one every time i get into it like yeah so i mean maybe i'll remember which episode that was in i think it might be in our new spring wrap up where we talk about it yeah um is that where it is mhm okay yeah. yeah i mean I, I had a good time, but it was also just like, <laughs> dang. Anyway, it's depressing. <laughs> it, really, it really is. Like, it's just, it's so awful to be reminded of what 
humans can do to humans when they find something that they feel passionate about. Like it can overwhelm reason and the ability to find common ground when you push yourself to such and a common far sense. <laughs> it just—I don't know. It's Elida yeah. does seem to be lacking quite a bit of that most of the time. So yeah, I uh, well, I hear you. And I again, like going back to her, like I'm a very important person yeah, mentality. Yeah. I think one of it is because she did have this special ability. Mm-hmm. to have foretelling. Mm-hmm. So other than Guitara Moroso, which mm-hmm. is the how we start out in New Spring, Elida is one of the only Aes Sedai during the series that gets foretellings and mm-hmm. that has this talent. So this, you know, coupled with her strength and the one power made her a really big asset to the tower. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, it's just... Again, she's probably thinking like, not only can I can channel, but I can do this. Like, why mm-hmm. why am I not being, you know, showered with praise? Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, exactly. well, you're in you're in the White Tower, so I I don't know if that's you know how things work there, but mm-hmm. I do think that she was looking for more. Yeah, a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um. So with her ability for foretelling, she was accepted when she had her foretelling that the royal line of Andor would be the key to winning the last battle. And so she takes this information and like finds a way to attach herself to the Andoran monarchy because Tigrain who was the queen at the time, had run off, which created the War of Succession in Andor. And Elida saw that Morghese Tricond was going to be the next queen. And so she, like, got to her and was Leached like, on. hey, <laughs> by the way. And I think it's really interesting, too, that at the time that this happened, she was only 24 years old, which like sometimes when I read, can the- you imagine being a twenty-four-year-old and being like, "I'm going to go advise a queen now"? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> what kind of life lessons do you know at twenty-four where you should be? <laughs> I could, I could barely wake up when my alarm clock went off, and I was supposed right? to be out the door for work. Like, how would I like? It's, and I'm not trying to be ageist. No, no, not but- at all. But sometimes I do wonder when I see like the youth factor of these the series like mm-hmm. when we start Egwene's like 16 that's yeah. so young it's so young like I anyway. I barely remember what I was doing in my life at that time right and I mean maybe you shouldn't isn't that what your 20s are for anyway <laughs> no, right <laughs> definitely yeah so anyway she and Morghese was young too. Like I think Morghese was maybe 18, 19 when she took the the Rose Throne. Um mm-hmm. but anyway, the companion says from then on her fo- her focus was on protecting and controlling House Strakhand, the royal house of Andor, because she sees this in her her foretelling. The royal house is the key to winning the last battle. And if she is going to launch herself into notoriety, what better way way to to do do it? it. Yeah, exactly. So, like, she is definitely big time scheming and working out this plot. And it's really, 
Um. <laughs> it's really what's the word I want to go for right now. Well, um. <laughs> what I want to do is just launch into like the spoiler section because, like, have we gotten through all of the stuff that we yeah. want to talk to about her background? Yeah. We've so done a let's... really good job of holding ourselves back. Yeah, we did. <laughs> so let's go ahead, take our little break. When we come Love break back, time. we will get into the nitty gritty spoiler I'm section so of Elida. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many good things to talk about. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. Let's take a break. Call me. You want to call me? Of course I do. Of course I okay. do. Okay. <laughs> Give me a minute. Good break time. And we're back. And we're back. We're back. Okay, so Alayda, now we can just like let loose. <laughs> restraints off. No worrying about spoilers. Like one of the things that really stands out to me is just how bitter and petty she is. Like when we first meet her, she is the advisor to Queen Morgay. She's standing behind her shoulder. Like she's feeling like she's got exactly what she needs. Elida almost feels like she's as much of a queen as Morgay's is. Exactly. And like maybe even more so. Mm-hmm. Like not necessarily a queen, but like Morgay's can't channel. Right. She can't be Aes Sedai. And, and like this world, so often that's like the pinnacle of what a female can achieve is to be an Aes Sedai. So like I can totally see Elida being like, of course I'm your advisor. I'm above you. I know more than you because I'm an Aes Sedai. And I'm like, you guys are like four years apart in age, maybe. Yeah. Like <laughs> what life experience do you have that she doesn't have at this moment, especially being sheltered in the tower for like what? <sighs> Ten years or something? No, seven years because she's like 24 when she goes to Morgaze. And the fact that Morgaze has probably had, you know, this upbringing where she is taught about everything going on around in this yeah. world and politics. And we don't, I don't really see that about Elida. No, no. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't yeah. think that she's had any type of upbringing similar to Morgaze. I agree. On her yeah. farmhouse. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I mean, she like she feels like she's in this good position because of her foretellings. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the places where you and I have talked about her so many times and how badly she fucks up her own foretellings. It's yeah, it's it's almost laughable. And I mean, this it might be an unpopular opinion, but I would actually love to have more Elida chapters and more mm-hmm. interactions with her. Because unlike Guitara, when Elida has her foretellings, she they're incredibly misinterpreted by yep. Elida. Yeah. Yep. So, like, for example, the White Tower will be whole again, except for remnants cast out and scorned, whole and stronger than ever. Randolph Thor will face the Amarlin Sea and know her anger. The Black Tower will rent in blood and fire, and sisters will walk its grounds. This I foretell. And it's like, oh, Elida. Right. She is so (laughs) delusional. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if she had just a little bit of, you know, forethought, just 
if she just were able to see things not so self-centered and really look what's going on in the world, maybe she would have a clue as to what the fuck her foretellings actually mean. Yep. And I mean, we know from and this just isn't even her first foretelling like the first one that we see is in eye of the world where she mm-hmm. meets Rand, and she's like mm-hmm. this guy is going to be the center of everything <laughs> yep. and he's going to destroy and you know all this and that and yeah she gets that one right but mm-hmm. um how does she, how she executes things is just like grossly like incompetent yeah and you know, as a reader, we've got all of this great foreshadowing and we mm-hmm. have seen what's going on in the heads of other characters. So we can see Elida's foretellings in a completely different light. And this is just one of those Robert Jordan moments where it's like, oh, my God, like you have done you have done so well, like mm-hmm. giving this woman these kind of like deranged moments where we're sitting back and just like laughing at her like are you crazy yeah are you insane Mm -hmm. and it's kind of just like oh I I would almost want more of that but yeah her foretellings are a shit show (laughs) Mm -hmm. because I mean like even when she's going through the maneuverings of deposing and stilling Swan and Leanne we only get this brief interaction with her and Alviera and it, where it's like come walk with me and the next thing we know like the hall is sitting and it's just barely enough people to pass through Tower Law to do this deposing and stilling of the current Amerlin and Keeper and then of course she puts herself in place of the Amerlin because Elida's not looking out for the best of the tower. She's looking out for the best for herself. Exactly. And that's what she wants is power. And in her eyes, I mean, she's I think she's actually right. There is no person more powerful than the Amerlin in the Westlands. So Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Like she she attaches herself in the places where she thinks will elevate her the most, but instead of that happening, like she just she just fucks shit up just over and over again. And she reassures herself that it can't possibly go this way because she's had a foretelling. So everything she's doing is perfect and right. Yeah. She, yeah, she definitely thinks that everything she does is, you know, like Elida, I am tower law, you know, yeah. like I yeah. make the decisions. Everything I know has put me in this position. I have foretellings. I'm better. I'm stronger. It's just... Mm-hmm wild and then you know even after everything that goes down within the tower and swan getting deposed things start to really spiral like she Mm -hmm. like she does some really messed up stuff and makes some really bad decisions but then like towards the end she just gets i mean it it gets crazy like it it gets wild yeah and it's almost yeah. to the point where, like, how can someone be so short-sighted? Mm-hmm. And how can someone be that, like, demented? Mm-hmm. Like, power-hungry and yeah. delusional. And Self-delusional. Delusional. Yeah. 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 Like and you I, said, I am Tower Law. Yeah. And 
where have you gone to that that is how you see yourself? Like, right. Mm-hmm. It it kind of goes along with this pot on fame theory. And mm-hmm. I love this one. Um, yeah, me too. I hadn't heard it until you told me about it. So, and I think it's, I think people either generally strongly agree or strongly disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm one of the people that believe it 100%. And mm-hmm. I might even think like there's even more to it than just yeah. like what <laughs> some people think. But, I mean, Elida starts off really petty, power-hungry, and then she has this encounter with Padon Fane, or he's going by Mordeth at this point, mm-hmm. and it kind of tips the scale. Mm-hmm. So before her audience with him, she's making some pretty questionable calls, whether it's, you know, refusing to believe that the Black Tower has hundreds of men, and she's kidnapping Rand, and just generally taking... <laughs> bad advice from the black Aja moles that are in the White Tower. So there's this long-standing discussion within the fandom that's saying, okay, from up until this moment when Elida and Mordeth meet, she becomes even more unstable. And so the idea is that Mordeth infected Elida with the same cruelty and evils mm-hmm. that led to the destruction of Arid Hall. So... Mm-hmm. Arid Hall was a former nation that lies in the south of Saldea, and after the breaking of the world, it kind of became this refuge for what little civilization was left. Mm-hmm. And then it was ruled by this king, Balwin Mayel, mm-hmm. and it was this kingdom was basically decimated during the Trolloc Wars. And during this time, Mordeth shows up to King Mael's court and he's like, hey, I'm going to be your counselor now. And shortly after this, King Mael starts displaying like all of these signs of cruelty and madness. So sounds a little bit familiar, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. So yeah. King Balwin Mael continues down this path of madness and he's isolating Arid Hall and cutting ties with all of the other nations that it's a lot allied to. And he's even torturing the prince of one of his closest allies. I think it was one of the princes of Menethrin. So mm-hmm. all of this is going on. And then he's just, you know, showing all of these crazy signs of madness. And mm-hmm. from one day to the next, the entire nation just disappears. And mm-hmm. no one knows what happens to the people that were living there. And it's just ruins of a nation, and it's now called Shadar Logoth. So mm-hmm. we know mm-hmm. all about this place. <laughs> yeah. So this campaign of madness and isolation within Arid Hall is incredibly similar to what we see within the White Tower under Elida's reign as the Amerlin. So mm-hmm. the Ajas begin squabbling, and then they eventually cut all ties to each other. And there's this general air of mistrust mm. and paranoia within the tower, and things really yeah. begin to unravel. Yes. And then, Ooh. The, yeah. And then there's, I mean, a lot of people look at this quote and point to it and say, this is why I believe this theory. Mm-hmm. So they think that Elida is being tainted by Pot on Fane or Mordeth. And we mm-hmm. do have a quote from him. 
when he's going by Mordeth, and it's in Lord of Chaos, chapter 28, and he says, unlikely Nile, which he's talking about, Pedro Nile, would have ever supported Althor any more than Elida would have. But it was best not to take too much for granted with Rand bloody Althor. <laughs> well, he had brushed them both with what he carried from Arid Hall. They might possibly trust they they might possibly trust their own mothers, but never Althor now. Ooh. So, yeah, so we can't be one hundred percent sure that, you know, the madness that we see in Elida is a direct result of this encounter with Mordeth, but yeah. I think Robert Jordan gives us plenty of foreshadowing to make the call. Mm-hmm. And just another example is Matt's dagger. I mean, mm-hmm. Matt, this wasn't even this is just an object that he's carrying with him that, you know, made him sick and crazed. Mm-hmm. And this wasn't even, you know, like con- really like from the contact of Shadar Logoth, it was just like he's carrying this dagger from this place. Mm-hmm. And so if that can make a person so sick, like what can Mordeth do himself? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and doesn't he like later on discover that like he can do things? Like without using the dagger, he has like some sort of weird ability to just do things to people and I think like there's this one scene where he like kills a young child and basically does it just by thinking about it so it yeah, would it's seem some, as though yeah like he's Darth kind of Vader style like. yeah <laughs> yeah like he definitely has something more at this point this this makes so much sense to me like I I love this theory and I I really I believe it and I actually I mean like the hatred and suspicion that happened in Arid Hall starts with the arrival of Mordeth so uh-huh. I mean I would even go as far to say that the influence doesn't just touch Elida alone uh-huh. that it's influencing everyone in the tower because yeah. the Ajas I mean everyone is acting wild Nobody will even, the Ajas won't even talk to one another. And I know that there are things that lead up to this, but this is like extreme. Really? Yeah. Like they don't feel safe outside the Aja quarters without another like sister of their own Aja with them. So they're like traveling in packs for safety, which seems just wild when you consider that right. just should not be happening and like the way that the white tower looked before this moment and i mean i think there are definitely reasons for suspicion and concerns over the direction the tower was taking when for sure yeah definitely the, the tower schism happens but i also definitely feel as though it gets much worse um later on and at, in particular after that visit from pot on fade that is such a great theory it's, it's fun. Such a great theory. It's fun. Yeah. I really like that. Um, so when we were talking about this, hopefully I'm just gonna go on a bit of a history tangent and hopefully it's not boring. Um, <laughs> bring it, Tracy, but, bring it. Okay, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it my best shot. So I couldn't help but think of a Henry the Eighth crossover with Elida's behavior 
and what happens to him. So like Henry VIII wasn't ever supposed to be king. And so he was raised in a way that like gave him almost this gracious utopian idealism that he actually carried into his reign when he became king. And so for like the first couple decades of his reign or so, everyone's like, he's the most beautiful prince in all of Europe and he's just the best and he's got so much talent and blah, blah, blah. And like people just, they love him. him. (laughs) Yeah. But then like, so my connection to this is that, (laughs) (laughs) so Henry decided, this is after he's divorced his first wife and he's married to Anne Boleyn and he decides that even though he's like, 40 now or something like he's definitely not a young guy any longer but he's still in pretty good shape like he still exercises regularly he moves around regularly like he's in decent shape for a 40 year old guy but in this jousting tournament he falls and his horse lands on him as well and he's wearing all of his armor and There's this really great documentary. It has one of my favorite historians in it, Lucy Worsley. I adore her. But, like, they do this, like, autopsy of Henry VIII. And what they determine is that it's very likely that his frontal lobe was damaged during this fall. Like, he was unconscious. Was he wearing a helmet and then just, Mm -hmm. like, smashed and sandwiched? Yeah. It's like. They actually like in the in the documentary. They actually do the closest they can to like a some forensic of happening. Yeah, yeah so like they a forensic like, reenaction. They brought out a dead pig and <laughs> dropped this huge weight on top of it that equaled like roughly fifteen hundred pounds. Oh my god, going twenty five miles an hour. And, like, I believe they said that it would be, like, the weight of eight washing machines landing on top of a human being. Christ. So, like, yeah. So, everyone's, like, the king is going to die. Like, we're fucked. The king's dead. He doesn't have a male heir. Like, fuck. So, he's unconscious for two hours and comes out of it. And he's okay. But then all of this weird shit happens. And, like... Henry VIII is known from this point on as kind of a monster, <laughs> paranoid, tyrannical. Like his divorce, divorce, his I don't I, execution of his wife. Like his second mm-hmm. wife happened within months of this accident happening, and like he had spent six years trying to marry this woman. And then he does, and they're married for three years, and now all of a sudden he's, like, off with her head. And it's not just her. It's, like, five other men who also get convicted of treason who are then either executed by sword or, if you're a commoner, you get the fun treatment of being drawn and quartered, castrated, have your gentleman parts thrown on a fire while you're still alive, and your entrails poured out before you. Hooray! So Henry VIII was awful. Like, and... (laughs) Right? Who's worse, Elida or Henry VIII? Exactly. (laughs) We need a poll. (laughs) Well, and I'm going to... On this one, I'm going to go for Henry VIII. Yeah. Because he did not... Like, he lived the rest of his life as this tyrannical king that people were afraid to speak the truth to because they knew that if they pissed him off... 
he was just a moment away from like decapitating him. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like something like 70,000 people are estimated to have died during his reign, either by his hand or by the laws he created. And it just and wasn't like, he just making up his own laws too, like yeah. Iron Tower Law, Henry VIII, Elida. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when he wanted to divorce his first wife, and the Pope wouldn't grant grant him a divorce, he was like, "Well, I guess we're divorcing ourselves from the Catholic Church, and I'm I'm head of the king, or I'm I am now head of the Church of England, and I'm granting my own divorce." So yeah, which creates like this entire schism throughout the entire. Oh, I just bumped my microphone. I was so excited, but it. <laughs> It creates this schism through the country that divides it deeply, and it's very similar to what Elida does through her, like, need to be number one, need to be at the top, her need to be a symbol of power. Like, her it's a really good f- anal- analogy. Th- th- thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I-, I personally think Henry VIII gets a little too much attention, and his wives don't get as much attention as they deserve because, holy fuck, he was a dick. He was a dick. Like, what a, what a dick. Stop glorifying Henry VIII. He was a dick. Okay, sorry. sorry. So in your, <laughs> in your line of thinking, Henry yeah. VIII's accident could be considered similar to Elida's exposure or Mort- to Mortis touch on Elida. Yep. Yeah. That was what I was thinking. It was like this major accident is what flipped him. And for Elida, maybe it's Pod and Fane's presence and the evil that he carries with him. And yeah, unfortunately, like, Elida didn't start out as being loved. Right, and adored. <laughs> but I totally see that. I mean, mm-hmm. she was doing some crazy stuff, but then she just, I mean, she's just she just becomes completely, like, wacky. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Wacky is even kind of a nice word for it. Like, it gives it almost a jovial sound. But, like, Well, I just mean, like, it's almost like cartoon villain where you can't even believe that someone is that inept or, you know, just, like, living in their own world. It's just like, what are you thinking? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's a – anyway. Yeah. I will will link uh, that documentary in case anybody is interested in watching (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's actually really cool. Um, it's called Inside the Body of Henry VIII, and there's like a forensic doctor. And I'm ready a, for a this story. pig. It's uh. it's pretty fun. I mean, <laughs> oh, and they talk about how awful syphilis is, and the fact that Henry VIII <laughs> lived with like open ulcers on his oh legs for the rest of his life and he smelled so bad that like people were like you could smell him three rooms away and no one would tell him because they were like if we tell the king he stinks literally he'll kill he us. will kill us literally like you stink you stink yeah so that was just like it just like it clicked and i was like that it's another step where like jordan ties into history and pulls from what has actually happened. Oh, and yes, definitely. As, aw- as awful as it is to see Elida behave the way that she does, knowing that that continuously happens throughout human history is also just kind of Elida's story is just like one failure after, a ne- after the next, even mm-hmm. though she thinks she's winning. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm going to win so much, you're going to get tired of all this winning. Right? Sorry. 
couldn't help myself. So, yeah, like, <laughs> let's, I mean, let's talk about her failures. Oh, so, man. I would say this whole, like, okay, the Black Aja takeover, basically, in the tower, this is not specifically Elida's fault. But yeah, it's true. Yeah, the White Tower is infested with dark friends. And it is. you can put your dollars to donuts that the Black Aja <laughs> took special interest <laughs> in Elida and the Red Aja. So yep. why why Elida? Why the Red Aja? Why is this, you know, um why is this so uh so easy for the mm-hmm. Black Aja to get in there? Well, okay, Reds don't have like friends in other Ajas. So it's easier to hide. And then reds also happen not to have warders. So that would be an advantage. Mm, You know, would yeah, with the warder bond encroaching, you know, basically on your thoughts and feelings, it would be impossible Mm -hmm. to hide your intentions unless your warder is also a dark friend, which Mm -hmm. we do see at some point Mm -hmm. with Farron. And then, you know, speaking of dark friends, the fact that Elida wasn't a dark friend (laughs) is one of the biggest shockers in the book for me. Right? You're always expecting the Mm -hmm. announcement. Oh, Like any moment. For sure. It's just going to happen. You're going to find out that she's Black Aja, like just her destructive nature. Absolutely. I yeah. think that this quote from Egwene like sums it up perfectly. I'd name you Dark Friend as well, but I suspe- <laughs> suspect the Dark One would perhaps be embarrassed to associate with you. Ooh, yeah. burn. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. But, yeah, it's kind of, you know, it's almost tragic that she was just this regular old terrible person. Yep. And then, you know, like the fact that she receives direct advantage from the Black Aja maybe blinded her a little bit from seeing what was really going on because Elida was exactly the type of person that they needed. She was Mm -hmm. really short-sighted. She saw all of her accomplishments, you know, as her own, Mm -hmm. even when her own rise to the Amarlin seat was because the Black Aja benefited from having a stooge in charge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, someone to take the fall. Yeah, and so she is linked with the Black Aja whether she knew it or not, like hands down. Mm -hmm. Yep, yeah. I don't know if I have this in here later. It might be under miscellaneous, what is this one, this section called? (laughs) Miscellaneous dumb shit Elida does. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if is I have Is there another way to put that? <laughs> no, it's perfect and I love it. But w- what I'm wondering, because like you said, she is linked to the Black Aja, is the first person we see her approach when she's deciding that she wants to stage this coup over Swan mm-hmm. is Alvieran, who is white Aja. Mm-hmm. And as we know, black Aja. Mm-hmm. Why? Why did she go to Alviran? What was Alviran doing that we don't know about that made Elida feel like she could talk to her about deposing and stilling the current Amarillan? Right. And this is the second time that we know of that an Amarillan is raised and her keeper is of the Black Aja and also not of her own Aja. That's and so, so weird how that happens twice. Isn't that right? Like I'm trying. Was it New Spring? It's, 
It was. It was the Amarillin who came after... Tamara. No. Mm-hmm. The next yes. one. Was it? I think it's the one that comes directly after her. And then her keeper, I think... I think she might have been red. And then the, the Amarillin was from the gray. And she had also chosen a red sister to be mistress of novices. Mm-hmm. So, like, she didn't pick a either from her own Aja. She chose them from the red Aja, and one of them happened to be actually which is, black Aja. Which is strange, right? I mean, mm-hmm. not only did Elida not pick someone from the red Aja, which is curious, mm-hmm. she goes with someone that was, what was she, a gray? Uh, Alvieran was white. White, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just so happened to be black Aja. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I I almost wonder if there was some type of like under the table deal like okay like we will back you for mm-hmm. Amerlin if you pick you know like I will I will like the whip you know like mm-hmm. I will get the votes for you if mm-hmm. you will give me this in return. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's to me it's interesting that she goes outside her aja like that feels like it should be an alarm in and of itself of something especially not someone right. who is so aligned with the red aja exactly like she is all about it so for her mm-hmm. to be like hmm i guess i'll go outside of this aja that yeah. i think is like absolutely everything it's just bizarre and i i think it's i think it's good that jordan makes that choice and puts alvieran in this place but it does kind of like like you, you see it when you start thinking about it. It's like ding, something, mm-hmm. something feels off. Yeah. So I, I was thinking about that this morning after I was done watching my Henry VIII documentary. <laughs> it was a good morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I think I think that's a really good point, and it's, it's it almost feels like. New Spring is foreshadowing. Like, if you catch that in New Spring before it happens with Elida, you know, it becomes it becomes a little bit more predictable, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, obviously for me, I read New Spring at the very end, the very last. Yeah, me too. <laughs> that I had read. So, <laughs> yeah, when you read it, when I read it in New Spring and you had brought it up, and you're like, look mm-hmm. at this, look at this. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> hmm Right? Mm-hmm. So I just... So are we going on here. to more of Elida's ridiculous, messy moments? I think so. Yeah. Where are we in that? Mm, we have her treatment of Egwene when she is held, you know, captive, basically. Yes. And this, yeah. This is actually my favorite my favorite chapters of Egwene. Hell yes. They're Just, so good. And, and and it's not even I'm not even a huge Egwene lover. I'm just such a Elida hater. <laughs> <laughs> when it all comes together, I'm like, Egwene is the best. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I I like Egwene a lot, and I like her character development so much. But in these chapters in particular, like watching her get forged in this like mm-hmm. fiery, painful way, and for her to like realize what 
causes her true pain just makes her such a fucking badass. Like, she is ready for anything after that. And you're just like, dang, check. Yeah. And you're like, <laughs> if you lived in the United States, you couldn't even go buy a beer. But <laughs> you're killing you it. You do you. Holy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's kind of amazing. But, like. And I'm on the opposite end. I do not like it going <laughs> But I love these moments from her. <laughs> they're just they're just so good. They're just so good. And just this um, whole like just this this treatment mm-hmm. of her that Elida is Elida is just trying to prove how much of I guess like, you know, I am Tower Law, I make all mm-hmm. the rules, what I say goes, and mm-hmm. you are nothing. Yep. And watching her just keep trying and we can see how everything around her is starting to slowly fall apart and how Mm -hmm. Egwene is starting to win the respect and um just like the the respect and like basically like the love from all of these other women within the Mm -hmm. tower and even these young you know novices or accepted I think are like looking up to her Mm -hmm. and stupid Elida is just she can't even see how bad of a spot she's putting herself in she's totally blinded Mm -hmm. and she's like she's thinking that she can beat a queen by physically beating her that if she she just continues abusing the poor girl's body that eventually she will break and even Lara steps in our beloved Lara steps in exactly like she's like I can't I can't stand to see your spirit being broken like that's not what the tower should be about when the tower cook is stepping in and being like I can smuggle you out of here you know that everyone else in the tower is looking at Elida as a tyrant yep yeah so I really like she just Another big, huge, dumb fuck up. Mm-hmm. It's just incredible. And I mean, there's, I mean, there are so many. I mean, we could go on forever about mm-hmm. <laughs> seriously mess ups. But oh, you have here. Um, I think you you had mentioned earlier about Masana and mm-hmm. how that kind of played into Elida's. <laughs> another one of her awesome uh great moments <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah because masana is controlling alvi yeah masana is controlling alvieran who then like steps in and starts controlling elida and what elida can do so letters that are leaving the tower that even elida is shocked to be putting her signature to and knows it's going to wreak havoc she does it because alvieran has like pushed scared, her around yeah. and scared yeah like and it just did not take very long either like a matter of weeks isn't it maybe so it funny, seems like these types of people that think like i am the best i am the strongest i am the greatest and then when someone finally steps up to them they kind of like turn into a little mouse. Like, look at what happened when Cad Swain put her in her place. And then this woman is just going to like put her, you know, in the corner. And Elida's like, 
okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, ends up living in fear of Alvierne's presence, even if she won't admit it to anyone, including herself. Like, but her reaction to, like, because Alvierne leaves and then comes back and then leaves and comes back, I think. And then she's, she does it at least once, but then she's removed as a light as keeper. And so, like, Masana then loses that direct contact over <laughs> um, Elida, but <laughs> but then Elida chooses Katerine Alruden as the next mistress of novices, who is Black Aja. So then you <laughs> just flip it. You go from the keeper being Black Aja to the mistress of novices being Black Aja. And that's another thing we keep seeing over and over again is that they are put or somehow find themselves in these places of high power within the White Tower. So it's just, and Masana I think was under- like, hey, do this. And Elida, without knowing, it was like, okay. Yeah. Because I'm really just a coward and I don't know how to stand up for myself. And I'm trusting <laughs> in this foretelling of mine that regardless of how bad this shit gets, I'm coming out on top. Like she just, she fools herself so hard that she's okay with these horrible things she's doing it's just okay yeah for the reader it's definitely like you want to pull your hair out and scream Mm -hmm. yeah you're like why are you doing this how can someone not see what is going on (laughs) yeah and that's Elida yeah and I mean there are so many really dumb things that she does okay like for me this is my favorite she, okay. This woman is building herself a palace mm-hmm. in the shadow of Tarman Gaiden. Like the right? end is here and she's like, hmm, these roses look nice, <laughs> you know? Like what? What? Excuse me? I'd like me? my Tyrion rug over there, please. And the in inlaid gold marble statue over there, please. Like she's redecorating. She's moved her room it's to ridiculous. an even more an accessible place inside the tower. Like fuck her, fuck her so hard. She's just the worst. Yeah, she's just the worst. Yeah, she's um, she's okay. I I think this is really like weird too when she's holding like Matt and Stephanaeus in the tower against his own will like the dude's a king and she's like you will be staying here like yeah sorry yeah en- enjoy enjoy the tower grounds that's all you get yeah she's using him as a pawn to get at some other mm-hmm. king or ruler from a different nation it's just it's all really it's- and it doesn't even matter because she no. just fails she just yeah. fails at all of it it's she thinks it's she can mildly tragic, but yeah, it's she... mostly just infuriating. <laughs> yeah. She thinks that she she sends all of these women to the Black Tower to like basically go to war with them when there have been reports that they have hundreds of men that can channel. Yeah. And she just doesn't listen or doesn't care. And is just like, oh, it's it's a lie. It's not real. You know what I just thought of? I bet because of her association with the vileness and she knows like what that death toll was i wonder maybe if she she's thinks like, that she killed they're all dead exactly <laughs> like that that exactly. many men can't li- be living right That's yeah because point. like 
20 years ago, they went on a killing spree. So yeah. maybe she's like, that's <gasps> Tracy, just... that's so right? good. Right? Ooh, sorry, that just excited me. <laughs> no, that's that's a really good point. Maybe she does I wonder. think that there's, maybe she thinks they got most of them, you know? Yeah. So she's like, how could there possibly be? Because, I mean, the reason why the Red Aja hunt men who can channel is because they are afraid that they're going to destroy the world. At least that's what they say Mm -hmm. is the main cause for them doing this. So there can't possibly be that many men who can channel because there just hasn't been enough activity Mm -hmm. of a destructive nature that would indicate that there were a lot of men out there who could channel. And she's wrong. Again. Elida, you are so dumb. (laughs) <laughs> so wrong so many times. It's really almost unfortunate. Sometimes the, I feel bad for her. Another one of the things I think that, like, to me felt extremely hurtful, mm. especially giving her relationship with more gays, mm-hmm. is, she okay, how long did she spend advising more gays? She knows all of her children. Yep. She's been living in the palace with them. And then... At one point, things are going down, and she's just, like, thinking about how she wants Gawain and these younglings, like, they're in the way. Like, we just need to mm-hmm. get rid of them. It's like, mm-hmm. you're tr- you you want to kill off this woman's son? Yeah. When, like, have you no decency? Have you no, right? like, honor whatsoever? Like, Yeah, what she just fuck? uses him. She just uses him. He's just another tool for her to, like... yeah push in a certain place and when she's done she just wants to discard it because she's done with it if it doesn't serve her anymore she's finished like another henry the eighth trait just saying mm-hmm. um, just saying <laughs> right but i mean it's she morgase was so angry at the tower losing elaine mm-hmm. elida going after gawain would just make Andor even more hostile towards the White Tower. So it makes not zero wanna, sense. Like, you do not want to fuck with Andor. Like, they have one of the biggest militaries. Like, are you mm-hmm. kidding me? It's and a bad Elida, idea. And Elida is so ridiculous that she thinks that it's a non-issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He just... And I mean, the way that they, like, orchestrated it, where they were, like, making arrangements with the Shido to be the ones to take it out, and then mm-hmm. that did not go according to plan at all because both of them were like, you're dumb. No, you're dumb. <laughs> that we're was using crazy. you. No, we're <laughs> using you. Like, it was just ridiculous. Like, the people that she sent out to do things for her were also Black Aja and, like, fucked up all of her plans on top of it. So she has, like, just shit judgment of other people's character it's it's really kind of incredible (laughs) truthfully like how is it even possible yeah so one of the things like we talked about pillow friends Mm -hmm. earlier and how elida had one and one of the things that i find really kind of intriguing about this moment with the tower schism and the rebels and the the sisters in the white tower is that both groups spent both groups sent spies to the other group. So Maidani happens to be a rebel Aes Sedai who has come back to the tower as a spy. And one of her instructions from the group of Maidani is her ex-pillow friend, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like the rebels decide that to get to Elida and figure out her plan, maybe it's time for Maidani to you work, know, her work, <laughs> work her charm. Work her work her 
Work her bosom. I hear it's impressive. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so I th- what I find most intriguing about this is that it's one of the very few moments in the Wheel of Time series where sex and intimacy is used as a weapon in a way. Like we haven't really seen very much of sexual favors being mm-hmm. used for the advancing of whatever is, the other person's agenda is. This is a really good is. point because when I first read Elida, I was like, she's so much of a Cersei Lannister. And Absolutely. then I thought about it and I was like, well, Elida had coming from the society where women channelers hold all the power. Cersei had nothing. Cersei mm-hmm. had to like sleep her way to the top basically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's where her, I guess her, her way of getting things done came from. She had to mm-hmm. use herself in that way where Elida and the situation within Wheel of Time, like it's not really necessary, but you're right. Mm-hmm. This is one of the first times where you're like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Like and I see what's going on here. Yeah. And it's two women. And so that also gives it like a bit of a non-traditional mm-hmm. twist. Yeah. Um, so it, it's one of the things that I kind of appreciate. And then I feel as though there's like, I don't remember which book it is. I think it's going to be book 10 because almost everything about Elida that I was really into happened in book 11. Um, but I think I think Maidani is like having dinner with Elida and Elida is like acting kind of seductive towards <laughs> Maidani. Gross. It's a, it, yeah, it's a little uncomfortable I to read. I can't picture Elida in that way. <laughs> right? Like it's just... You're like, oh, so that's that's what's happening. So anyway, so she rekindles this relationship with Maidani. And I, I have stuff marked from this, but I don't know if it's stuff that I want to read. Because the thing that I really want to read is after the Shanchen attack, the tower. Oh, yes. Um, so I'll save, I'll save reading stuff for that. But it's just as though if I were out with my girls and Aleda came up to me acting the way that she was around... Maidani, I would be like, back up, smarmy <laughs> face. Like, this is not this is not happening. Get out and of so here, you just, old stinky face. <laughs> yeah, she's just like, she's just kind of creepy and like, ugh. Like, there's just this lecherous vibe to her. Mm-hmm. And like, I think Aguin comments when she's like being forced to serve dinner to Elida and Maidani that Maidani is terrified of Elida that she can see it in her face and it's really upsetting yeah yeah like Egwene is like what is happening that she is this afraid and we find out that Elida knows that Maidani is a spy and Maidani knows that Elida knows Knows. that she is a spy (laughs) so like it's just this that's a really so good many double lines. cross spy versus spy moment, <laughs> right? It's just, and I mean that's just a, that's just what Jordan does, and I love that. Um, so yeah, sex is a weapon, and then the Sean Chen attacks the tower. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah, is that a good transition? To- <laughs> I'm good. I'm good with it because we do need to wrap up on Elida I know, right? at some point. <laughs> we're doing we're we're doing what we do. We're just taking forever and it's it's fine, but yeah. So I do I do actually want to read this section. 
Yes. Oh, hold on one second. Can I get gum too, please? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry about that. No, 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 you're totally fine. And this is a really, I think this is the best way to end things off with Elida because after all of the treachery and awful stuff that she does, you almost think that it can't get worse and that, right. you know, like you think, I don't know, she just kind of deserves like a beheading and a stilling and, or you know, or just a yeah. stilling and throw her in a dungeon. But no, and really, Robert Jordan. Yeah, and, <laughs> and how often? I think I think one of the other things that I really like about this is how often does the bad guy actually kind of get exactly what they deserve? And like, I feel as though this is one of those moments where you're like, "Oh fuck yeah, you kind of deserve this shit." Um, so I'm not gonna so, lie. I'm not gonna pretend that I was like, "Oh." Oh, that's so sad. Like after know, thinking right? about it, I was like, yeah, that's kind of fucked up. But mm-hmm. I mean, in the moments when I'm in the books and I'm like, this woman finally, yep. like finally. Yeah. She gets it. Mm-hmm. Um so in the book, this is the gathering storm. I don't remember the chapter number 41, I think. Uh, but it's at the end of the it's at the end of the chapter. It's after the Shanchen have had their disastrous attack on the White Tower, and women have been taken off, and Aes Sedai are dead, and Aguin has proven that she is the ultimate in badassery, ultimate like, warrior. <laughs> love, love, love this moment. So we are <laughs> okay. End of the chapter. Elida <laughs> awoke to a very odd sensation. Why was her bed moving, rippling, undulating, so rhythmic? And that wind? Had Carlyle left the window open? If so, the maid would be beaten. She'd been warned. She'd been... This was not her bed. Elida opened her eyes and found herself looking down at a dark landscape hundreds of feet below. She was tied to the back of some strange beast. She couldn't move. Why couldn't she move? She reached for the source, then felt a sudden sharp pain as though she had suddenly been beaten on every inch of her body with a thousand rods. She reached up, dazed, feeling the collar at her throat. There was a dark figure riding in the saddle next to her. No lanterns lit the woman's face, but Elida could feel her somehow. Elida could just barely remember spending time dangling in the air, tied to a rope as she fell in and out of consciousness. When had she been pulled up? What was happening? A voice whispered from the night. I shall forgive that little mistake. You have been Mareth Domine for very long, and bad habits are to be expected. But you will not reach for the source again without permission. Do you understand? Release me, Elida bellowed. The pain returned tenfold, and Elida retched at the intensity of it. Her bile and sick-up fell over the side of the beast and dropped far to the ground below. Now, now, the voice said patient, like a woman speaking to a very young child. You must learn. Your name is Sufa, and Sufa will be a good domine. Yes, she will. A very, very good domine. Elida screamed again, and this time she didn't stop when the pain came. She just kept screaming out into the uncaring night. Elida, that's what you get, man. That's what you get. It really, like... It's it's so perfect. 
like I know we don't get to keep the moment of like her like being like this, but it's just one of those things where you've like this is after she's beaten a queen. This is after she's put her in this tiny cramped cell. This is after she's been just losing her mind and I mean, destroying I, the tower. I hated her from the moment from what she did to Swan. Like she was on my you know list after that. Like nope, hate her. Nope, hate her. And then she Same. just keeps doing even more and more cruel, awful deeds. Mm-hmm. And I i mean, like I said, when I had originally read this, I was like, you get what you get. But then I actually started to feel a little bit bad for her because I don't yeah. know, that whole situation is terrible. And yep. the, the Shan Chen just suck. They're awful. And, yep. you know, <laughs> but Elida has almost like (laughs) put herself in this position and I'm thinking well that's kind of sad but then in true Elida fashion she tries to sell out the whole white tower and she's like I will give you like everyone in the tower for my freedom and I'm just like all right you stay like (laughs) yeah you're done (laughs) done done and done Mm -hmm. holy shit she's just you love to hate her you just love Mm -hmm. to hate her she's so awful if I could create my own punishment for her, I would have her stilled and then made like prisoner in the tower, like mm-hmm. a servant or something, because I would much rather have seen her like being able to see the tower live its best life without her. And, yeah. you know, the Aja's back to cooperating and mm-hmm. there being some sense of harmony and happiness and, you know, the kinswomen being brought in and all of these changes going on. And yeah. I, I, we don't know for a fact if Cad Swain takes up the position of Amerlin, but who better to be, like, <laughs> in charge when <laughs> if Elida was, like, imprisoned and still there? Just yeah. that makes me laugh. But... <laughs> <laughs> It does seem a more just and less cruel way of ending her storyline to do it that way. But I'm just going to go for full cold-hearted bitch and say... That's this it. Is, you got it. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> like, And I mean, it. there are so many things that suck about that so hard, too. Because, like, Elijah's only, like, 50. You know? She's just barely reached... The beginning of her life as an Aes Sedai. She oh, has, that's true. She has like hundreds of years potentially to live this way. And I mean, we know that they know how to break women. So how long will it be before she really is Sufa? Which, what did you say Sufa is? <laughs> I said maybe <laughs> Sufa means bye, bitch, in the old tongue. <laughs> Love it. Mm-hmm. If it did it before, it does now. Yeah. So that's, okay. I think that's where we can wrap it up. If, I agree with you. If anyone has something to add on Elida, leave us a message. We would love for you to contribute your Elida hate or love, maybe, <laughs> if you have that um, yeah. in your heart. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So, first off, Thanks for joining us, and we will continue to release new episodes every Wednesday. We would love if you subscribe, 
leave us reviews and share us with your friends in the wheel of time community let us know what you thought of our content correct us send us things we may have missed you can find links to our email and social media accounts in the show notes and if you have the anchor app leave a voice message for us to play in upcoming episodes we also have a discord channel just find us on any of our social media platforms and we can send you an invite so until next week thanks for joining us on the road to tarvalon